0: Welcome to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast, where we get to bring you sermons and content to help bring you closer to Jesus, develop your faith, and keep you up to date with everything young adults. Join us Sunday nights at 7 p.m. in the SCG Church Warehouse for our Young Adult service, or at our main campus services Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you enjoy. All right, well, hey, we well, want welcome you guys to Young Adults specifically, uh, and you can turn the music off actually, week number three of a series that we're in, through the book of Romans. We are taking literally half an entire year going through the book of Romans. Now here's the good news, all right? If you are new to this whole Jesus thing, you got questions about heaven, hell, Jesus, salvation, all that, or you've been a faithful follower for years now, right? Mom and dad, you guys grew up in church, right? Your parents forced you to go to church Sunday morning, and you had like a comb over haircut and shiny shoes. If that's you, the book of Romans still has something for you, regardless of where you're on the spectrum of that, right? Here's why. The book of Romans is considered to be Paul's greatest work, his magnum opius, where he details the entire theological storyline, really, of God and the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Week one, we learned what the word gospel was, euangelion, good news. All right, now uh, today, I just need to be upfront and honest with you guys. Um, I'm going to start off our conversation with saying this is either going to go really, really good, or this is going to go really, really bad, and you guys are going to, like, throw tomatoes at me or something, right? Because the words of our text today, where we're studying, are some of the most hated words penned in human history, especially, especially if you are college-educated or you are going to college person in 21st century America, because today what we're talking about is sex and gender and sexuality, and we're going to sprinkle a little bit of God's uh, wrath in there just for fun, right? Why not? And so uh, before we hop into where we're headed today, um, and the question I want you guys to get thinking about where we're, where we're going today is this question right here. I think I have a, a question. It's this. As a kid, as a kid, did you experience a punishment because of your behavior. Now, if you, if, you're, if you say no, you're a liar and you definitely need Jesus, all right? So um, as a kid, did you uh, ever experience a punishment because of your behavior as a kid, all right? So I'm gonna give you a minute, turn discuss some of the people around you. Ready, set, go. All right, all right, bring it up, bring it up, bring it up. So uh, growing up, I was the type of kid that your parents like, like told you you couldn't hang out with and like specifically like you compared yourself to, like at least I'm not as bad as. and all my friends would say, Mats. That would, That's what they would insert at the end of that sentence, right? It all started one day um, when I was seven and my dad got me a pellet gun. I don't know why, but I as a police officer and he thought, you know, it'd be a great idea. Give my self-destructing son a pellet gun, right? And so I'm in the backyard and uh, this was when everyone wore axe. Some of you guys hopefully aren't wearing Axe body spray any longer, um, or your girlfriends would leave you. But anyways, uh, and so I'm wearing, like, the cool blue or whatever it's called. I, anyone remember, like, like Nighthawk or what are the, what are the, the smells? Uh, Phoenix, that's one for sure. And then there was a green one. What was the green one? It was trash, whatever it was. Anyway, so if you were walking into, like, a junior high... and. and, and the guys, when we were in junior high, and you'd walk into the locker room, it was like a tear gas. It was like you'd walk... Anyway, so I found out that if you shoot those with your Pelican, they explode. But I found out if you light a piece of paper next to them, there's a huge fireball. So I was like, ding, ding, ding. I took all my Christmas money, about $120 worth of ax cans, and just laid them in my backyard. I'm sitting on the other side of my backyard, like entrenched with like, you know, like whatever it is, right? And it's like whatever, and it's boom, blowing things up. Well, I have a twin sister, also seven at the time, because she's my twin, and she comes out into the backyard, and she's like, what are you doing, right? And she's all angry with me for whatever reason, because she's my sister, and whatever. And so she's like, I'm going to tell dad, and this is where I made my fatal decision. Instead of shooting the axe can, I turned the scope towards her, and then I decided to make the stupid decision of pressing the trigger. I'm sure you've done something, right, where the second you did it, you went, what the? You know, like, like it was like back when you were a kid, and you told your mom to shut up, and the second the words left your mouth, you went, Right? Like, so this is that moment, right, like I just turned the gun towards her, boom, shot her. This thing lodged like an inch into her thigh, right, like she was not, so she starts screaming, right, and she's like chucking things at me, right, and I'm like dodging them, whatever it is, and uh, then she goes and runs in and tells my parents, oh my gosh. Uh, so like obviously, right, I have a daughter now, and if, my, and if I had a son or whatever, and, and, and my son shot Noel, my, my, I would be furious, right, I'd be heated, right, and so my parents, let's say, were livid, right? My dad puts the boxing gloves on. He's like, let's go in the back. Now, I'm playing. It didn't happen. But, um, <laughs> and so, like, I, my parents are heated, right? And so, obviously, I have to, like, make amends with my sister. I have to go into the garage, and my dad makes me saw my gun in half, which is, like, the worst thing ever. I just got it, like, a few days before that. It was terrible, right? But here's the deal, right? I violated my parents' law. I broke their trust. I harmed my sister. Therefore, I deserve the punishment that I received, right? I think everyone would say, yeah, you deserve to get grounded and probably beat up, right? Like, that's probably what deserved to happen. In other words, I acted in that story in a manner that was consistent with unrighteousness. That's a word we've been defining for a few weeks. It means not right. That—that's what. In fact, the book of Romans, the theme of it we've been discovering for the last three weeks, um, and we're going to for the next like 27 weeks, is the, the righteousness of God. How you, as a flawed, broken human being, can get right with the holy, just, and perfect, and mighty, and awesome God. That's good news, right? Before you understand the good news, though, you've got to understand a little bit of bad news because the truth is, just as I violated my parents' law and broke their trust and therefore deserved punishment or wrath from them, God also is a God that is just, perfect, holy, and right, and therefore is a God of wrath as well. If you're taking notes or you care about this type of stuff, God's wrath, what is his definition? God's wrath is justice and action. It's justice and action rendering to everyone what they are doing and that's bad news. Why is that bad news? Because regardless of what your grandma or your mom told you, we're not good people. I'm sorry to tell you, you were lied to, right? The truth is this, we are bad people who sometimes do good things. Every person, every person, given the right circumstances, will choose the wrong thing. Every person, given the right circumstances, with the lights off, no one's in the bank, whatever it is, every person, given the right circumstances, the right situations, is probably going to choose the wrong thing. There's just something with inside us, right? And so the bad news is we all stand on the category of sinner. Bummer. We're closer to Hitler than, mother, than, than, than Jesus Christ. Like, by, by a long shot, right? And that's bad news. And what it means is that we are due God's justice poured out on us because of our unrighteousness and violating his authority and living and in inconsistent with his created order. In fact, Paul needs us to understand this. In fact, from verses 18 of chapter 1, which we're going in today, to verses 20 of chapter 3, he goes detail after detail after detail of the wrath of God and why God is justified in his wrath. Why, why, why Paul? Why, why, Paul, are you spending all of this time on God's wrath? Here's why. You will never appreciate the good news until you apprehend the bad news. I'll say it to you this way. You will never, you will never see the cross as something done for you until that you understand it was done by you because of your sin. And so Paul knows that only those that are aware of God's wrath can be amazed by God's good grace. And so I need to remind you, as we, as I started this, I said, today is going to be either going to go really good or it's going to go really, really bad. The passages tonight that we're going to be going into are going to leave a few of us unsettled. They're going to leave a few of us angry. They're going to leave a few of us frustrated, especially um, if, uh, number one, you're not a believer. I'm excited you're here. Let's have a conversation. Or you have views that have been indoctrinated through our modern educational system that aren't consistent with biblical values, historic biblical values and worldviews. And so here's, here's, here's what I want to kind of start a conversation with. If you are here today and with what I'm about to present leaves you frustrated, angry, and unsettled. Biblically, what that is called is called conviction, and it's designed to get you to change, not for you to change churches or your theology so that you feel better. Historically, one of the large differences between Christians today and Christians back then was when they felt convicted, they changed. When we feel convicted, we get a new pastor, right? We get a new church. It's not how this is supposed to be. Conviction is something by God's spirit that brings to our awareness something that's not alignment with God's will and revelation, and we must submit it to him if he is who he says he is. After all, if God is as great as he says, we've said this week and a week after, is God is not bigger than you think, he's bigger than you can think. If God is that God, then you and I must conform to him, not attempt to have him conform to us. So with that, in the back of your minds, grab your Bibles, go with me. It's the book of Romans written by our guy named Paul in a place called Corinth in 55-56 AD, a really long time ago. All right, it says this. Starting in verse 18, we're going to do the first uh, verses. If you don't have a Bible, it's up there. By the way, if um, you don't have a Bible and you want a Bible, this table back here, grab a Bible. All right. For the wrath of God, we're just easing into this, is revealed from heaven against the ungodliness, unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, here's our word for today, or at least for the next few moments, suppress the truth. Highlight, underline, circle that, all right? Suppress the truth. Now, there's so many things I want to talk about. We'll we'll start the first thing. He goes on to talk about God's wrath before this. And here's what you need to understand, is that love and wrath are uh, tethered characteristics. You cannot have one without the other. If you love someone, you need to pour out your wrath against the thing or person that is going to harm or destroy them. Right To sit in apathy, which means to not care and let someone ruin their lives, or let someone come into the lives of someone you love with the expressed purpose of bringing harm, devastation, and destruction means that you ultimately don't love this person. Like if someone was going to come into my daughter's life that wasn't going to be good for her, that was going to be harmful, a murderer, a pedophile, whatever it may be, right? I'm going to pour my wrath on that person because I want to safeguard my daughter because I love and care for her. See, here's what this means is that love shows us what God is for. Wrath shows us what God's against. Love shows us what God is for. Wrath shows us what God's against. God, epistle after epistle, letter after letter, the the, the entire book, all 66 books of the Bible, tells us that God is about his family. And that's why he's against sin, because sin destroys, sin fragments, sin, um, what you'll hear in weeks to come, destroys this thing called shalom. It perverts it. Now, the next thing I want to point out is uh, that Paul, here kind of, Is teaching not evolution, I'm not talking about biological evolution, he's talking about de evolution here. Evolution is starting low and climbing high. De evolution starting high and then sinking low. Think about this human history began with people knowing God, Adam and Eve, Genesis chapters one and two and three, in communion, in union, walking in the cool of the day with God in the garden. Human history is not the story of beast-worshipping idol polytheism and then making their way to one true God and building a relationship with him. Human history is just the opposite. People knowing God but turned from that truth and then rejected God. We find that in our word where it says, suppress the truth. See, the Greek word suppress, it means to hold down. The image, if you've ever been like in a pool and you've got like a volleyball or something like that and you're trying to like push, the, push, it, push it down and it like immediately hits you in the jaw or you're trying to push it back down, that's the image here. Trying to constantly push, suppress, bring down something. What is Paul talking about? The idea here is that men knew the truth about God, but they did not allow this truth um, to enter into their minds, and they rejected God. It's this idea here that they suppressed the idea that God was real and that God was personal, that God cared how we lived. They suppressed it in order that they might live their own lives on their own terms. And all this really led to, and we're going to find this in a second, is it led to an empty mind and a darkened heart. Why why would suppressing the truth of God, his yeah, we'll talk about suppressing it, bringing it down, create within us an empty mind and a darkened heart where the lights are turned off? Because God is the foundation of truth. If we unanchor ourselves from truth's foundation, we become by very definition disoriented. We have no compass for reality, morality, or truth. Our whole lives. Our whole lives, right, we have been taught from the earliest of ages that truth is what? Subjective and it's relative given your circumstance or your situations or whatever it may be. I find no greater evidence that we are are suppressing the truth in that reality in a video that I want to show you guys um, in a second. It's a video where this guy walks onto a college campus. I believe it's in Washington. You'll find out in a second. And uh, he's going around just asking some people questions about what we would think is reality. And there's not one college-educated human being that can answer this question appropriately. Check this out.
1: There's been a lot of talk about identity lately, but how far does it go? And is it possible to be wrong? We went to the University of Washington to find out. Are you aware of the debate happening in Washington state around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think uh, bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there
0: doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go into whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether your sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. If I told
1: you that I was a woman, what would your response be?
0: good for you. Okay. Like, (laughs) yeah. Nice to meet you. I'll be like, what? (laughs) Really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion.
1: If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be?
0: I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I'd say good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. (laughs) I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions, just because on the outside I would assume that you're a white man.
1: If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be?
0: Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately.
1: Uh, <laughs> I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean... I, it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you, know you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say seven years old.
0: If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you.
1: <laughs> so if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to?
0: Uh,
1: probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason need to do that now.
0: If that's where you feel like mentally, you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that sh- should be an okay thing.
1: If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say?
0: That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're successful. A- If you truly believe you're 6'5", I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. (laughs)
1: So you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong?
0: I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't
1: just go like, oh, you're wrong. Like, that's wrong to believe in it. Because I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So I can be a Chinese woman.
0: You <laughs> um, sure.
1: But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman.
0: Yes. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you are six foot five or Chinese or a woman.
1: It shouldn't be hard to tell a 5'9 white guy that he's not a six-foot-five Chinese woman, but clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult?
0: So I just want to start by saying I identify as 6'5. No, I'm playing. Uh, just kidding. I'm 5'9. I'm a 5'9 white guy. Um, I really am. Now, here's the thing, right? University was once created and I don't know if you know the, the origin story of, of, uh, of universities, right, um, was to further their education, why? Because people like Galileo thought that the heavens declare the glory of God. Therefore, if I empirically study science, look at the world around us, I can bring God glory by looking through the field of mathematics, biology, cosmology, whatever it may be. But now universities that were once created to be lighthouses for reality, that taught a correspondence theory of truth. What is truth? That which corresponds to reality. What is reality? As God sees and declares things. Now college-educated human beings can't tell the difference between male or female. Or they can't tell the difference right, between someone who's a 5'9 white adult male in their 30s and someone who's a 6'5 Chinese woman who identifies as 7. It seems that it's so possible, right, in our, in our current culture to be so open-minded that our brains almost fall out and we lose our compass on reality and what's real. See, if a society or an individual... Loses God, it does lose its ability, or they lose their ability to teach and discern reality. But deep down, right, deep down, we know the truth, but we just don't want to, we don't want to, so we hold it down so we can pursue our sin. And if we can get rid of God by suppressing that truth, we can get rid of feeling guilty. I see this happen all the time, right? I've been a youth pastor for a pretty long time, been here for 11 years, and uh, I've seen a lot of kids come through and they get a girlfriend, they get a boyfriend, they start doing things, whatever it is, and then they leave. Why do they leave? Is because they're existentially going through the cosmos and going, mm, I don't think the Big Bang Theory makes much sense, therefore there couldn't be a creator? Or are they, they're studying evolution? No. It's because they're doing something that their conscious is saying this is wrong, and then when they come into an environment that teaches God's word, the Bible, first off, I could give another sermon here. The Bibles are not meant to be binoculars to look at other people's problems. It's meant to be a mirror to look at ours. Right? The issue here is people feeling guilty And so they separate themselves by suppressing the truth of God. You can suppress the truth of God by stopping to just come to church. Start funneling your efforts somewhere else. Now, whether it's evolution, right, denying God as our sovereign creator, or philosophy speculating that we can't really know God at all, or maybe psychology, right, telling us that we're not responsible for our problems. These are all ways of pushing God away from us so that we can become our own God. We can be the sole authority that governs our lives, right? Follow with me in verses 19 through uh, 21. If I can find that in my Bible again. I know how to read my Bible, I promise. Here we go. All right, verses 19 says this. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. That's important. God is not a God that's hidden, like hiding behind. That's not the God of scripture, right? Like uh, this is called esoteric or Gnostic teaching that God is hidden. He has secret, revelatory truth. That's not it. God is plain. God wants people to know him, right? How much does God want him to know him? He came himself incarnate. In human flesh for people to know what he was like, right? God desperately wants people to know who he is, and that's what it's talking about there. It continues. Um, it says this, uh, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, God as a spirit being, and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the highlight creation of the world and the things that ha- highlight have been made. So they are left without excuse. Here's what this means. Just as a painting, Tells us something about the painter, just as the building tells us something about the architect. So too does the material world that's around us tell us something about the God that created, about the creator? We can learn a handful of things. We're going to talk about that in a second. But I want to point you to the very last verse that says this. It says, so they are without, what, an excuse, it says. This is a purpose clause. Here's what it means. Sinners cannot plead ignorance as an excuse that they didn't know that there was a God. Why? Because God is making himself clearly known. He has made himself known throughout human history in two ways. The first is called General Revelation. We're going to talk about that today. Next week, Special Revelation. How God has specifically revealed himself within the person of Jesus Christ, within the pages of Scripture. But for today, General Revelation. This is how God has revealed himself to all mankind, regardless of place, regardless of time. All people. How he's revealed himself all pe- to all people. The first of General Revelation is two parts of this. The first is this. External Revelation. The created world around us. But the created world around us is designed to connect us to the creator of us. Anyone, anyone should look at the world around us in the cosmos and know that there's a God. In fact, i talked about this before, but there are three different types of galaxies, for example. We exist in a very specific type of galaxy called the spiral galaxy that allows us to study the heavens around us. Any other type of galaxy, the sun, the, the other suns and stars are too close. The entire, it's never dark. You can't, you can't look on planets that are in um, uh, uh, non-spiral galaxies. Right? Uh, even even uh, the cosmos, the cosmos cry out for a creator. We've talked about this: through the teleological arguments, the fine-tuning arguments of God's existence. Um, there's 312 cosmological constants that need to be perfect: the law of the expansion rate, uh, gravity, uh, the weak and nuclear forces of a nuclei. All of these things need to be mathematically perfect. So perfect, there's 312 laws of physics that it's it's said this way by scientists and mathematicians: that imagine that you had a quarter in your hand, you needed to flip this quarter 10 quintillion times. And every single time, without fail, it needs to land on heads. That is the mathematical probability that these 312 cosmological constants are all perfect. Right? The cosmos cry out for a crater. Biology cries out for a crater. We've talked about in weeks, uh, a few weeks ago the Cambrian explosion 550 million years ago. Go on our podcast to hear more about that. Biogenesis. How something that was non-living created something that is living. How did gold and silver and iron ore Become the organic, intelligent life that is, has critical thinking and thinks, like you and I today. We talked about um, irreducible complexity in William Paley's watch argument, right? Biology cries out for a creator, and that this God's creation is making himself evident. We can know certain things about God as a creator. He's orderly. He's beautiful. He's powerful. He's perfect. He exists outside of matter, right? And he's personal because he decided to create something. We can know all this about God until we what? We hold down. We suppress. This is why oftentimes people, you'll hear things, people say like, well, when I'm surfing or when I'm hiking, like, I feel really close to God. And the truth is that is because that's the closest to God that those people actually get. But they're left without an excuse. It's not enough. General revelation can't save you. So there's two types, right? There is the external revelation. Then there's the internal revelation that God has made himself known. The conscious inside us is designed to connect us to the God that is over us. Right? So we are moral and ethical creatures that kind of deal with existential and metaphysical problems and questions like purpose and meaning and transcendence. But then we also have this law that's almost implanted within our heart that's designed to draw us towards a lawgiver, right? In Jeremiah 31, in Hebrews 4, it talks about this. So for example, all societies know that torturing babies is wrong. Why? Where, where does that come from? The animal kingdom is not wrong. Have you seen baboons? They're savage. Just go home tonight and you'll have nightmares. There's baboons killing. Like just crazy, right? They're savage creatures. We as human beings are something distinctly different. We're moral and ethical in nature. We all know torturing babies is wrong, but why? Where does that come from? It comes from a lawgiver who gives us objective standards of right and wrong. But here's the truth. It is not that we do not know right and wrong. It's that we do not like right and wrong. Because it means that we must conform to right and to wrong, and we either find that not pleasurable, inconvenient, or whatever it may be. See, in every sense, in every sense of the way, our society is attempting to hold down and suppress the truth of God. Modern scientific thought, for example, as it's taught at the university, is diligently working to disprove God. And they come up with crazy, absurd theories, like the multi-universe theory, that has absolutely no ability to be mathematically proven, uh, scientifically, empirically, because it's not of this, of this ether, of this matter, of this universe. And that people are trying as hard as they can to go, God can't be real, so what else can there be? Modern philosophical thought, right, is, in, is working super hard to invalidate the existence of God. Or modern psychological thought, right, is tirelessly working to answer what's wrong with us without pointing us towards sin, with the fallenness and total depravity of what it means to be a human being. Why? Because if there's sin, that means there's a problem and then we need a savior. Or model, modern political thought, it's claiming to be God who has light, holds the power over life and death. That's what the argument of abortion is. See, when a society has unanchored itself From the created historical and natural understandings of marriage, unanchored itself from the created natural order of biological male and female, and then celebrates the killing of its its most innocent, it deserves the wrath of God. Why? Because we have sinfully rejected God's revelation of Himself, and we are left without an excuse, the Bible says, because we corporately and we purposely and personally should know better. God has externally revealed himself. He has internally given us a conscience. And next week, you're going to learn about special revelation, how he has specifically and specially revealed himself through the pages of Scripture in the person of Jesus Christ. Here's what this means. People don't accidentally end up in hell. This will pop up there like, I didn't know. They suppress the, the truth their entire lives, and as a result, they end up there. Follow with me in verses 21 to 23. It says this. For all know they knew God. They did not honor him place them appropriately in their lives, nor give thanks to them. But they became futile in their thinkings, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, I think we could agree as a society that we have tons of people with lots of degrees, but not much people that have wisdom. Really, people are really intelligent, but have no wisdom. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creepy or creeping things. Creepy things too, I guess, right? So here's the result. The result of God, of us rejecting and suppressing the truth of God, isn't that we became smarter. Isn't that we became better. Rejecting God did the opposite. It actually darkened our hearts and emptied our minds. Where man, the worshiper, became man, the foolish philosopher. And then two questions, philosophical questions, theological questions, uh, metaphysical, and even epistemological questions began to get tilted. And that's what he's talking about here. The two questions are this. Who is God and then who am I? Those are the two most important questions you'll ever answer in your entire life. Who is God? Has he revealed himself? Who am I in light of that truth? Who is God? Well, we found out that we thought he was not worth worshiping. He's not worth obeying because he has a a wrong view of things, an archaic view of sexuality and gender and and marriage or whatever it may be. And that there are better things to worship and subscribe devotion to on this earth than him. That's what it means to worship. Subscribe ultimate worth to, to, center, devote my life around. Who am I? Well, number one, we believe now that we're not sinners. I mean, there's problems, don't don't get me wrong, but those problems can be fixed through the economy or getting my right political person in the office, right? There's a financial problem, an educational problem in the world, Not, not a problem with the human heart. It's not, sin isn't the problem. I'm the arbiter of truth. I'm accountable to no one. I'm the final authority over my life and I get to do as I please with my life. In Genesis chapter three, what's the lie that Satan told Eve? If you do this, you can be like, God, you can be your own, you can be the arbiter of truth. You can be the, you can be the final authority of your life. You can do as you please. That's, that's what God gets to do. In that spirit, Paul goes on and he talks about worship. Having held down God's truth, right, and refusing to acknowledge God, humanity was left without a God. And that didn't undo our created desire to worship something. Little kids have posters on their walls of athletes or whatever, or their favorite sports car driver or whatever it is, right? There's just something with inside implanted within us. To be human means to worship, subscribe worth to, devote my life to, pursuit of. And so we're left without a God, but that didn't, that didn't undo our created design to worship something. And so if we will not worship the true God, we'll worship a false God, even if we had to manufacture it ourselves. Now, every culture, every culture and every society that suppressed the truth of God inevitably begins to worship the exact same thing. Go back to the Romans, go back to the Grecian Empire, go back to the Medo-Persian Empire, go back to the Babylonian Empire. All throughout human history, when we suppress the truth of God, you can see within history, civilizations beginning to worship the very same thing. And what is that thing? It's sex. Just for a moment, think about how much time, how much energy and money our culture spends and invests on sex. Go to any, just go, go on your way home today, just cl- click on the news or click on, uh, or, uh, turn the music on, the radio on your music. What well, it doesn't matter if it's country, if it's jazz, and definitely if it's rap, it's going to be talking about sex in some sides of the way. Watch any movie. It doesn't have to do anything with intimate relationships, marriage, any, for some reason there's going to be a sex scene in there. It's like I'm watching like James Bond, like what the frick, like what, like, like, or some Navy SEAL movie, and there's got to be, like what, like, soon Disney's going to start putting, it's, it's crazy, right? Like what, things have nothing to do with intimate relationships and sexuality, for some reason there's a sex scene in there. Walk down um, uh, any, any, like when you're like checking out at a supermarket, just look right and left and look at the magazines. There's Cosmo, and it's like, enjoy your best sex today. Woo! Like well, it's like, you know, 91 best ticks, t- tips, and you know, whatever. it's like all these crazy, like I walked down, I, I was like, what the fuck? like I'm like hiding in my daughter's eye. Like, what is going on in the world, right? And then we have all apps like Tinder and Grinder and whatever these other ones are about one-night stands and hookups. And then you think about the massive industry of pornography. It's the fastest growing industry in the world. Did you know that Amazon Web Services, for example, they have a what, what makes Amazon's money actually is that they host the internet. 70% of all of their revenue comes from adult content. Seven, that's billions of dollars. Most pornography is free. That's wild. $100 billion. That's crazy. Our culture is obsessed with sex. C.S. Lewis, in one of his books, he has this idea. He says, imagine that like, you, got in, like, you, know, you got in a, a, a spaceship, and uh, you were going to Mars, and you got to Mars, and as you landed, you just saw like, posters of, like, hamburgers, and you saw, like, movies about hamburgers, and every single movie had a scene of hamburgers, and you'd go, like, something is off, right? Like, you're, like, these people are way into Big Macs. Like, this is weird. Imagine if you took that alien, and you brought him to modern-day America. They'd, like, walk around. They'd see, like, what the frick? Like, they would, like, look on billboards, and there's, like, people eating hamburgers, but they're, like, half naked. You're, like, what? The Carl's Jr. commercial? You're, like, what is going on? Like, like we're obsessed with sex. Here's another way of saying this. Worshiping created things and not the creator, let me go on record and say this, though. Sex is a good thing. It's just a bad God. Sex is a good thing. It's just a bad God. God designed sex to be beautiful. Why? Because man and woman are the apex of God's creation. They're the best thing. Look at, look at the Genesis story. It was good, it was good. When he created man and woman, it was very good. God created sex to be a beautiful thing. He created it. It wasn't like he was confused with what Adam and Eve were doing down here. It's not happened. Now, in our society, right, we don't, we don't view sex as a spiritual issue. But what you need to know is God does. In the book of Romans chapter 12 verse 1, which we're going to get to in like a year, um, uh, it says this. It says, uh, therefore, in view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Why? Why, Why? Why would Paul say something like that? Because what you do with your body demonstrates what you're doing with your life. What you do with your body demonstrates what you're doing with your life. One of the things that separated the Christians from the pagan, that means non-Christian um, thinking individuals, um, in the ancient world was sex. The Christians were promiscuous with their money and conservative with their bodies. The rest of the world was conservative with their money and promiscuous with their bodies. It was one of the things that separated Christians from the ancient world. It's no longer something that's separating us, guys. Most church-going young adults are in a relationship or sexually active. I don't know if you know the teaching in Scripture or not, we're going to go through it in a second, but In fact, 67% of the secular world, non-church-going young adults, whether it be Gen Z or Millennials, um, that are in relationships are having premarital sex. 64%, I'll say that again, 64% of church-going Millennials and Gen Z that are in relationships are having sex. That's a 3% difference there. We're not doing super good there. So let me just kind of for a moment... Hop into some sections of Scripture, or rather I'll just tell you that what acts of sexual acts in Scripture are forbidden. We'll start with the first one, fornication. It's like an old churchy word. What does it mean? Something your grandma tells you not to do, but you're like, what does that mean, right? Fornication. The biblical idea of it is that if you are here and you are not married, I think there's only a few of us that are married, um, and you're having sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend, that is called fornication. God has designed sex within a created order, and that's Union of sex is designed to be within a marriage. Number two is uh, polygamy, polyamorous relationships. That's when marriage is open, or you have more than one spouse, more than one wife, more than one husband. It's forbidden in Scripture. The next would be adultery. This is when two married people join a marital covenant, have sex with each other, and then one of them steps out and has sex with somebody that's not in the marriage. Then there's obviously things like rape, which is is when someone is an act of aggression taking something sexually from someone else. Then you have incest. This is when two members of the same family um, are are having uh, uh, sex. Then there's homosexuality. That's members of the same gender in in biological sex. There's prostitution. And then finally, there's sexual immorality, or what the Greek word is, is pornea. Does that sound like something you've heard before? Pornography, right? So what is the the ethic of sex in Scripture? It's that you're not even supposed to lust with your mind. That's what Jesus says, right? He says that in uh, in the Beatitudes, um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so this idea of pornea is that we're not even allowed to have lustful thoughts, which you may look through the list and say, like, I'm not done X, Y, Z, whatever it is. But let's be honest. We've all done the last one. We've all had lustful thoughts insert our mind and then create a fantasy off them, right? Follow with me. It continues in verse 24 and 25. It says this. Therefore, this is crazy. God gave them up. God gave up on them. In the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the Creator rather than the uh, a creature rather than the Creator who was blessed forever, Amen. Here's what you need to know: just a few things. Number one, Paul wrote this from a place called Corinth. I've been there; it's a really interesting place. But what made Corinth a really specific place in the ancient world was every sort of sexual immorality and ritualistic pro- prostitution was practiced freely there. Every every type of sexuality you can think of is practiced in Corinth. That's why he's writing it specifically from Corinth. He continues in verse 26. He says this. For this reason, God gave them up again to dishonorable passions. For their women exchange highlight natural relations for those that are contrary to, highlight nature. Na- nature, what does that mean? It means not as things are today, but how things were before the fall of the world. Things as they were meant to be, as God originally designed human sexuality. Follow with me there, our next verse 27, it says this. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men, con- uh, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. Whew, uh, <laughs> these passages, right, are specifically dealing with homosexuality. You can't get around it. I'm gonna tell you why you can't get around a second. By the way, if you're here today and you got more questions about this, I gave like an entire hour-long talk on this a few weeks ago, and if you're new, go into our, um, our podcast on either Android or our iPhone. Um, just type in uh, Seacoast Grace Young Adults and all of the past sermons will pop up there. But anyways, right, this is specifically dealing with homosexuality. Why? Why is Paul talking about this? Because an errant theology will produce an errant sexuality. What does that mean? If you have wrong views about God, you will have inevitably have wrong views about sexuality. That makes sense. If God created sexuality, and you have wrong views of him, you're not going to know what human sexuality is for. You've disconnected it from its created order, purpose, and its creator. See, Paul wrote to a culture where homosexuality was accepted as a part of life for both men and women. Right? For some 200 years, the men who ruled the world, the Roman Empire, openly practiced homosexuality. At times, the Roman Empire even specifically taxed homosexual prostitution and even gave boy prostitutes a legal holiday. Legal marriages between uh, same-gender couples was recognized, and even some of the emperors married men. In fact, during the writing of the book of Romans, uh, when Paul was writing it, there was an an emperor of Rome named Nero. Nero took a boy named Sporus and had him castrated, then married him with a full ceremony, brought him to the palace with a great procession, and made his boy his his wife. A few years later, Nero lived with another man, and then Nero was the wife in that relationship. That's kind of perplexing. Um, I don't know how you go back and forth with that, but anyways. Here's the truth, right? The Bible, the Bible is explicit in its teaching that homosexuality is wrong. But what do I mean by homosexuality? I mean a plethora of things, right? There are two things that I need you to understand. And again, if you have questions about this, I spent a whole hour talking about this a few weeks ago. First thing you need to understand is this. Sexual inversion and sexual perversion are not the same thing. Here's what that means. The lifestyle is wrong, not the orientation. You're responsible for how you act. That's the truth of Scripture. In dealing with, all gar- in, in, with everything sexual, you're responsible for how you act. You're not always responsible for your orientation. You could be born that way. And I, I'm sure, I believe, maybe people could be born. There's, there's actually no, no sociological or scientific evidence that, that actually proves that, but maybe, maybe maybe you could uh, be, be born that way. But that doesn't escape your, 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 uh, your accountability for responsibility. Number two, homosexuality no more sends someone to hell than heterosexuality sends someone to heaven. What sends someone to be apart from God forever and ever and ever is they do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to follow with me in verses 28, 32 as we wrap up here today and I get you in your groups is this. And since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. That word means... Um, in the Greek, it's like a, a coin collector that like, has a magnifying glass, and they're looking over coins intently. And they find ones that are corrupted. They find ones that are impure. They find ones that don't have a right imprint on them, and they, they toss them. The word debased here, a debased mind, means that it's a corruptible. It's not right. It's, not, it's, 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 it's faulty in its way. Uh, that's what it means, uh, to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliceness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faith, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Those they, although they, they know God's righteous decree that those who practice things deserve to die, and that's talking about the entire list here, those that are not honoring God, those that are not giving thanks to God, those that have not have entered into a relationship with God, those that are not acknowledging general revelation, whether it be external, internal, or special revelation, they deserve God's wrath, uh, they, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Well, I could give another whole hour-long sermon just for approval to those who practice them, because we live in a society now that's educating its young to believe certain things about gender, sex, and sexuality, and then celebrate and gain social capital when you identify with this, that, or the other thing, which... We're not going there today because we're already out of time, but here's the heart of the issue and the conclusion that each one of you must make today. Does God God have a right to tell me what to do with my sexuality? Does God have a right to tell me what to do with my sexuality? Is there an external authority that you and I must submit to? In other words, I'll I'll make this a simple question. Does God have the right to tell me no? Does God have the right to tell me no? The real test of Jesus' lordship over our lives is in matters specifically dealing with sexuality. I want you to listen closely. Most of us want to savor from the consequences of our sin, but we don't want to be saved from our sin because we're enjoying the sinful life that we're living. In other words, we like the saving business of Jesus, but we don't really like the lordship. In other words, we don't want him to be over everything. See, if Jesus is just something in your life, the reality is he's nothing in your life. I heard an illustration recently that I liked. It's that Christianity is like writing a blank check, signing the bottom of it, turning it over, and saying, all of me for all of you. Do what you want with my life. I, I trust you. I believe in you. You're the sole authority that governs my life. Do what you want with my life. Last question that I, I want you guys to think through before I get you guys in your group is this question here. It's The question, you guys actually number four on your, on your piece of paper. Have you, have you, if you're a follower of Jesus, given Jesus total control of your life, right, to change not just how you act, but to change how you what you believe about what's happening in culture? Gender, sex, sexuality, all these different types of things. Have you allowed Jesus to not just change how you act, but also what you believe? Whenever you and I find something, as we read the pages of scripture, that is inconsistent with what we believe, it is not us. It's not God that needs to conform to us. If God is as great and mighty as he says he is, it is us that must conform to him. Let me pray for you guys, and then we'll get you guys in those groups. Father, today I am thankful that you are a God that is good. And God, you have saved us because of Jesus from your wrath. And so Lord, I ask God that as we continue to dive into the book of Romans tonight, Lord God, that you would teach us more about what it looks like, God, to study your revelation, more what it looks like, God, to enter into a deepening relationship with you. And Father, today, if we find ourselves in, in any sense of the way, disagreeing, God, with what you say, God, may you soften our hearts so we may submit, Lord, ultimately, Father, to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast. For more information about our services, events, and ways to get involved, head on over to scgchurch.org. Thanks again for listening.